Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and wanting to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I trying to to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism, how I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. I had advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, I am not lying in what I write to you. God is my witness. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. I remember the day that I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I had been a year-long struggle, and I came to the altar because I was struggling with it. Uh, I don't know if, you've, if, if that was your experience or not, but it was for me. Uh, do I surrender my life to Christ or not? And I was, I was wrestling. And so I came to the altar and I said, God, I, part of me wants to do this and part of me doesn't. Uh, would you help me make this decision? And, and in the process, God changed my heart and, uh, and helped me repent of my sin and put my trust in Christ. And um, All I can say is that the Christ I had heard about became the Christ I knew in that moment of time. And uh, I've never been the same. Uh, matter of fact, a couple of days later at school, 
uh, one of my friends said, what's the matter with you? I haven't heard you say a cuss word in two days. Uh, you know, he was surprised because there was, there was a difference in the way that I, that I spoke with other people. Um, Christ made a profound difference in my life. And, and I want to tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most wonderful thing you could ever know. And uh, the more that I, I study it and the more that I think about it and meditate upon it and the different terms that are used in Scripture and how the Bible describes it, I'm just literally amazed and filled with wonder at what God has done for us. Uh, we need the truth of the gospel. Not just to be saved. We need it to be saved for sure. Uh, but we also need it because there is something in each one of us that tends to revert back to performance mode. Um, does God want us to live a righteous life? Absolutely. But we tend to carry around guilt with us that God didn't mean for us to carry around. And we tend to try to perform our way into God's favor rather than to accept the love that is unconditional in Christ Jesus. And so we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be focused upon the gospel. Uh, it needs to be something that is constantly with us because uh, everything in our lives flows out of that. Um, Paul is writing to one of the churches that he established, actually a group of churches he established, in the region of Galatia. And uh, he'd established these churches. God had blessed them. They'd been saved. The power of the Holy Spirit had fallen. There's been this revival taking place in these churches. And guess what? The devil tried to get in the middle of it. He hadn't changed much in 2,000 years. Uh, and uh, he sent false teachers into the church. And these false teachers were leading them to a different gospel. He says, you've, you've gone to another gospel, and it's another of a different kind. In other words, it's, it's not the same that you've heard. It's something completely different. Uh, they're trying to get you to follow these things in the Old Testament that God laid down to be a picture of what Christ has done. Uh, why would you go back to the old way of doing things when those things were looking forward to God's ultimate plan, which you have? So he's saying, look, don't exchange what you have, the gospel of grace, for some uh, performance-based salvation. Uh, you need to come back to a right belief. And so that's kind of the thrust of, of this chapter and of the whole book of Galatians, although he's going to talk about some of the particulars of the gospel and how to live the gospel out later on. But um, he is, uh, he's addressing a problem. And so, as God's people, we need to, first of all, understand and hold to, cling to, the biblical message of the gospel. Uh, the title of my message is Identifying the Right Teaching. Uh, we're going to talk about how to do that. Uh, we're given several things in this chapter that Paul tells us about uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To help us identify right teaching. And of course also if you're identifying the right thing. You're also identifying the wrong thing. Uh, so uh, the first thing he mentions. And how do we identify this right teaching is God's apostles. God's apostles. Now he's speaking about himself. And primarily that's his argument here. About himself and what God has done in his life. 
but it is a general principle that the apostles were the carriers of God's truth, God's gospel. Uh, they were uh, the highest of the high uh, in the sense of those commissioned by Christ with a special authority in the church. Uh, the twelve were the first uh, apostles with a capital A. Now they had apostles with a little a. There's no capitalization or, uh, in the original, but um, they were originally all caps. But anyway, uh, what I mean is, in English, we, we show that uh, sometimes we distinguish between two types of something. Apostle, all caps, if you want to say it that way. Apostle, lowercase. The apostle, lowercase, were those who were sent to minister. Um, we have missionaries today who are sent to missionary, uh, to do mission work. There are apostles in the sense of a little a. Okay, They're sent by God with a purpose. But he's not talking about that. And nowhere in Galatians does Paul use the word apostle in that way because he has an argument that he's making. He's using the all-caps apostle. The, the apostle, not just the twelve, but one commissioned directly by Jesus Christ as an authoritative spokesman of the truth. Uh, God met Paul on the Damascus Road, right? Jesus Christ spoke to him. And... Uh, Saul, Saul, why you persecute me? And uh, who are you, Lord? And, and he tells him to go to the street called Straight. You remember the story? He sends a man named Ananias. And Ananias does not want to go see this guy. He's like, Lord, this guy, he's persecuted your church. He's thrown your people in jail. He's, he's persecuted them to the point of death. Why would I want to go associate with this guy? And especially, why would I want to pray for him? And God, and God says to him, Ananias, you go because this man is my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Ananias goes and he prays for Paul. God heals his sight. He's been blinded by the light from heaven. And uh, Ananias ministers to him and uh, gives him some encouragement for the mission that God has placed before Paul in his life. Uh, but not only did Ananias talk to Paul about this, but God spoke to Paul himself and said, this is my mission for you. This is what I created you to do. This is the office I have given you to fulfill to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he, he talked to Jews first in every city where he went. So it wasn't just Gentiles, but generally the Jewish synagogue would reject Paul and then he would go to the Gentiles in those different cities of the empire and so uh, Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles now this is God's purpose for him and it's an authoritative office that is given how did the books of the New Testament come to be included in the New Testament well I'm not going to give you a, a long lecture about a canon about the canon of the New Testament but one thing I do want you to understand is that God gave apostles Every book in the New Testament is either written by an apostle, written for the sake of an apostle, like the Gospel of Mark. Peter uh, told Mark, and Mark wrote down. <laughs> uh, and, or is approved by an apostle. There's some, like Hebrews, that have no author that's listed. Um, and, but but the, the teachings of the apostles were in, were in conjunction with that, and the approval of the apostles was up, upon it. And so this apostolic authority is behind the New Testament that we have today. 
And so uh, God gives us his apostles. That's the first way he gives us to show us the truth of the gospel. Um, This is very important because in every generation there are a bunch of false teachers. The devil is very creative. False religions, uh, perversions of Christianity that we call cults, uh, and even those who in the name of Jesus Christ promote something entirely foreign to the New Testament, such as health, wealth, theology. Some who would say, okay, you need to take these scriptures and pay special attention to them. The rest of them you can kind of ignore. That's especially dangerous. No, uh, God has given us his word. So uh, these false teachers that, that are in every generation, how do you guard against them? You go to what the apostles said, the New Testament. And so God has given us his New Testament. Now, uh, when I was um, a mechanic, we would work on things. And sometimes I've done that in my, in my own home and with my cars from time to time. Uh, but a lot of times there's something I really don't know how to do. And so I go on YouTube. And I will watch how people fix stuff on YouTube. Now, some of the people on YouTube know what they're doing. And some of the people don't. And so you've got to kind of discern... Who to listen to? Uh, but usually if I watch several different ones, I kind of get the theme and I get, okay, this makes sense and I see that and here, you know. But if I really want to know, I go to the manufacturer's manual. A lot of times I go to YouTube first and then I go to the manufacturer's manual because YouTube, they might give you a shortcut. But uh, if you go to the manufacturer's manual, you can discern exactly what you need to do. God's word is like that. The New Testament is given us is like that manufacturer's manual. When you go to the manufacturer's manual, it tells you exactly what you need to know. And so the gospel is not based on human opinion. It's based on the message of the apostles. And so that's a theme Paul talks about throughout the book. I'm an apostle. I'm giving this by apostolic authority. Uh, this is a message from God uh, that I'm giving with that authority. And so put your trust in the word of God. Take the teachings that you hear and compare them to scripture in its context. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, One scripture I've heard used by the health wealth preachers is the one about Jesus' expensive robe. And, and they take that verse and they say, oh, yeah, see, they want, uh, their soldiers were casting lots for it. It was a very valuable, expensive robe. Jesus was wealthy. And you need, you need to be wealthy, too. And if you have faith in Jesus, you will uh, have a Rolex watch and you'll drive uh, a Mercedes or a Rolls Royce. And, hey, take a look at mine. Yeah, he's got it by getting everybody else to give to him. But anyway, yeah, look at mine. This is what God wants for you. But you see, that's taken out of context. Because, yes, Jesus did have an expensive robe. Uh, But he also said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, One man said, uh, I want to follow you. Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the sky have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus relied on the support of people who, who gave to his ministry. But Jesus was by no means independently wealthy. He did have a few nice things. But uh, 
that's a verse taken out of context. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You hear some of these people on TV, well, they say you're going to have problems. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if you trust Jesus, you won't have problems. That's a lie. The Bible says many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so you take it in context. Now, there's the context of the immediate chapter or two. You know, uh, sometimes it's a paragraph. You know, and the paragraph is in the context of a, of a section. Uh, then you have the context of the book that's written. There are themes in the different books of the Bible. And then you have the context of the Bible as a whole. So uh, context is very important. And uh, one of the things that used to frustrate the Dickens out of the Jehovah's Witnesses that used to come visit me in Texas was that I would always call them on their quoting scriptures out of context. They'd say, well, the Bible says this, and they'd go to, go to the next verse. I'd say, hang on a second. That's not what that means. Now, what it says in context is this. Well, you know, by about the fifth or sixth time I did that, they were, they were starting to get frustrated. You see, it's hard to sell somebody a lie when they know the truth. You see, that's why God has given us the message of the apostles and so uh, value the Word of God. If I tell you something in contradiction to the Word of God, you need to go with the Word of God. If I tell you something that denies salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, you need to fire me. Don't put up with that. Well, you know, I heard one of two things happens. Either churches are fire happy, you know, and they fire everybody that comes through, you know, or they won't ever fire. Well, that, that's God's man. I heard a person say that one time on, on the news down in Texas. He's having adul- adulterous affairs with multiple women in the church. Well, he's God's man. I wouldn't say anything against him. Well, you better say something. He needs to go down the road. He needs to call you all. He's not a man of God. So, anyhow, I didn't mean to get on that, but whatever. God's apostles. Uh, so what's the second way that God gives us to identify about teaching? God's purposes. God's purposes. Look at verse 4. Well, go ahead and look at verse 3 as background. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. That's the first, first purpose of God in the gospel. Jesus would give himself for the sins of men. Literally, that word for can mean in place of. We call it the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Christ came so that he could take the suffering I deserved. Christ came to live the righteous life I couldn't live. He came as my substitute. He came for my sins. Some people will teach that you can be uh, worthy of salvation. Why? I think the, probably the majority of people, if you go out in the community and you ask people, how do you get to heaven? Most of them will have either Jesus plus doing good works or uh, good works. I do more good things than I do bad. I think, I think God will look at my life and think I've, I'm a pretty good guy. 
you know, it's all relative because, you know, if you're better than this person down the road, you're not as good as this person over here. You know, and so there's this, this kind of, it, it's, it, I, I'm so glad we don't have to live there <coughs> in our views. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches Christ died in my place. I deserve sin. I deserve, I'm, I'm sorry, I deserve death. I deserved hell. I deserved to be separated from Christ and from God for all eternity. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Hallelujah. That's God's purpose in the gospel. If they won't talk about sin, watch out. If they won't talk about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, watch out. <clears throat> if they're more about making you feel good than about telling you the truth so that you can benefit from the saving work of, the, of Jesus Christ, watch out. <clears throat> God's purpose in the gospel is for Jesus to suffer for sin so that we could be saved. <clears throat> Now, look what else he says. Who gave himself our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. To rescue or deliver us. Now, there's a future deliverance that's coming, praise God. But there's also a present deliverance. Well, how does God deliver us from this present evil age? Well, let me back up a little bit before I explain that. When God gave the Israelite people the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he told them, when you go into captivity, because you're not going to obey my law, and you're not going to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, when this happens, you're going to suffer. Eventually, you're going to turn back to me. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to change you on the inside so that you can worship me in the way that I deserve to be worshipped. And really, the ironic thing about that passage is, if you, if you uh, are familiar with Jewish life, they quote uh, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, what's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all strength but what he says in Deuteronomy 30 is even though that's what God wants from them that's not what they were going to do there's a problem now now there are exceptions I believe there are saved individuals in the Old Testament don't get me wrong I do believe that God worked in people's lives there were saved people in the Old Testament but by and large people's hearts remained unchanged and even though they had the truth and even though they had the sacrifices and even though they had the ceremonies their hearts remained unchanged and when you get to the new testament it's all about the form right they've actually added to the ceremonies they've got their own human tradition that they've added and jesus says to the pharisees you you're like whitewashed sepulchers you look good on the outside but inside you're full of dead men's bones he's going right back to the theology of deuteronomy he's saying you look good on the outside but i know your heart And I know that inside, you're vile and you're wicked. Jesus came to change that. You see, all of the Old Testament was in anticipation 
for Jesus to step in and do what God really wanted to do all along, but was preparing people for in the Old Testament. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? You must be born again. You've got to have a heart change, Nicodemus. All this outward form is not enough. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. God's purpose was to deliver us from this present evil age, and the way that he does that is by changing us inside and making us a new creation. Now, you say, well, how's that deliverance? Well, I'll tell you how. You become a citizen of a new kingdom. In Colossians he says, you're, you're, uh, focus, seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth because you're, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, there's a hidden life that you have that no one else has. The lost world doesn't understand the Christian experience. We have been delivered. I love uh, that song by Bill Gaither, The World Didn't Give It To Me and The World Can't Take It Away. This happy face I'm wearing, Jesus put it there to stay. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. He's talking about the joy of the Lord. The relationship with Christ that you have where he changes you on the inside, and there's this love for the things of God, and there's this love for God, and this desire to please him. Yes, you fail. Yes, you, you mess up. Maybe even you have seasons of time where you mess up, but you have a heart for God and a desire to change and and uh, you can see that God has made you new. Um, if you saved in an early age, you may not have seen it as great a contrast. But those who are saved in a later age especially see that contrast. I can remember a contrast in my life. But, but God changes you from the inside out. That's God's purpose in the gospel. To rescue us from this present evil age. Now that means not only a relationship with God, but also a new lifestyle. You see, Israel could never keep the covenant of God because they had wicked hearts. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Woe is me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, I have this old nature in me that wants to do the things I shouldn't do and doesn't want to do the things I need to do, how can I deal with this? It is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came so that we could have a new nature and so that we could have the Holy Spirit living within us and we could live this life of victory and obedience to Christ uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. An obedience that... You remember what Jesus told, told the disciples? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of God. What? Because to them, the scribes and Pharisees, they were the guys. They, they had it all together. It, we, we can't get into the kingdom unless our righteousness exceeds them. How in the world are we going to do that? Nothing. Who's going to be saved But you see, at Pentecost, things changed. And, and they began to live in a new power, in a new boldness, in a new obedience. 
that was unlike anything they had experienced before. And these disciples that Jesus kept saying, how long am I going to be with you guys? Uh, when are you going to get this? All of a sudden, these guys are taking the territory of the enemy. Thousands of people are being saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God came down. And they were never the same. You see, rescued from this present evil age, the Jews looked at it in two ways. This present evil age and the age to come. But you see, with Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit that fulfilled the prophecy of Joel about the age to come coming down into the present, there's an overlap of those two ages. And we live in two ages as Christians. We're in the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking, and we're in the kingdom of this world, physically. But we've been delivered. So I don't have to live the way I used to live. I've got a new power inside of me, the Holy Spirit, who is my friend and companion. I've got a new nature. And so this is what the gospel's all about. It's about God coming down and changing us so that we obey him because we want to. And that's what Deuteronomy 30 says. I'm going to put a new heart in you so that you will love me. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's what God's plan was all along. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Any gospel that denies the interchange in the heart and focuses on externals and works to be saved and performance is not the gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ is about an interchange that changes us on the inside and gives us a new power to serve God. Not because we have to because of a set of rules, but because we want to because we have a new love in our heart that God has provided through his spirit. So, uh, God's purposes, in case you forgot where we are. God's purposes are so important to identifying the right teaching. Jesus came for our sins, to take our place, and he came to rescue us from this present evil age. There are some people who deny that you need to, to live a good life. The Bible says we're supposed to live a good life, but it doesn't say that good life gets us to heaven. And it doesn't say we're supposed to do that, we're supposed to live according to the Old Testament ceremonies. No, the good life comes about because God makes a change in me and gives me his Holy Spirit and lives that new life through me. So then, I'm not just following the letter of the law. I'm following the Holy Spirit. And as I follow the Holy Spirit, I'm doing the will of God. It's kind of like the difference between having somebody give you a map of where to go, and somebody who's familiar with the way who's sitting in the car with you. If you have the map, you know, I remember one time, I don't know if it was Google Maps or MapQuest, they, they gave me directions to this place, and they took me through the hood in Knoxville. And finally, I turned around and said, I'm not going, I'm not following these directions anymore. I'm going, going through the wrong place. Uh, it's not that God's directions and his law in the Old Testament were wrong. No, no they were a preparation. Uh, Paul said in Romans, the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And so it taught us our need. That we're depraved that we can't keep God's law. We need Christ. It's a preparation for Christ. But you see, when you become a child of God, the situation changes. Now, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, and your main goal is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the moral things in the law will identify to you. 
uh, when you're on the wrong path, you need to confess that to God and repent of that. Uh, God will discipline you if you persist in, in sin. But, but the idea is that it's, it's a relationship. The relationship is key. And so there's, uh, there's not the focus on the externals. Uh, now it is a focus on the internal. You remember what Jesus said? Now, the, the Pharisees said, hey, your disciples aren't washing their hands. Well, they eat. Now, I'm, he's not talking about hygiene. He's, this was a, a religious practice. You, you wash, it was a ceremonial washing, and this was something that the Pharisees had added to the law. You've got to wash your hands before every meal. That's probably good hygiene, but uh, it was not necessary. And so Jesus says, hey, uh, it's not these outward things that make a man unclean or common. He used the Old Testament word. Uh, it's the things in the heart that make them unclean. Uh, these things like covetousness and, and, and murder and adultery and all of these things, theft, all of these things come out of the heart. There's a desire in our hearts for sin, and we do those things because it comes out of our hearts. You see, he's saying, look, you need to understand the situation has changed. Man looks on the outer appearance. That's why people were impressed with the Pharisees. God looks on the heart. And if you miss the heart, you miss everything. And so, uh, this God's purposes. I need to probably move on. Uh, so, identifying the right teaching. First of all, God's apostles. Secondly, God's purposes. Thirdly, God's grace. I love this. Uh, verse 6. I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Who called you by Grace. I want to tell you something. The gospel is all about grace. I want to tell you something. You can't get yourself into heaven without Christ. You can't keep yourself in a saved condition without Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. A to Z, alpha to omega. Jesus is everything. It's all about grace. It's the grace of God that forgives my sin. It's the grace of God that makes me a new creation in Christ. It's the grace of God that gives me the ability to live the Christian life. It's the grace of God that opens up the way into God's presence so that I can have a relationship with God. I never come to God in prayer because I deserve to come. Did you know that? Never. Jesus said these words on the cross. It's actually one word in Greek. It is finished. And when Jesus said those words, the price had been paid, paid in full for all time, something happened at the temple. From top to bottom, the veil was ripped in two by God. No human being could have done it. They, they talk about how many teams of horses it would have taken to separate that veil. It was so thick. God ripped the veil so that I could have access to God's presence through the blood of Christ. Don't you ever buy the lie of the devil that you are unworthy to come. What does Hebrews say? Jesus Christ has gone in before us making a way for us to enter. Jesus Christ laid the blood on the heavenly mercy seat and God said okay for the first time in human history my wrath is satisfied. My justice is satisfied. The price has truly been paid. None of the bulls and goats would do. But now the price has been paid. And he said, 
whoosh, the way's open. You have access to Christ. You have access to God. You can come boldly in the presence of God. Nobody did that in the Old Testament. Ask Nadab and Abihu. Fire came from the tabernacle and consumed them because they offered the incense in the wrongly prescribed way. How would you like to come to church and have two people get burnt to a crisp? That's, that's the situation they were in because it was dangerous to be in the presence of God. But now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not dangerous for a child of God to be in his presence because it's been paid. It's about grace. Every good thing that I accomplish or that you accomplish for the cause of Christ is by God's grace. That's, that's why he calls the enabling work of the Holy Spirit and Christ in me, that enabling work of Christ, as God's grace. Why? Because the fact that any of us do anything is all the grace of God. You say, well, I'm going to get rewards. Yes, you're going to get rewards, but that's God's grace too. Because you, you would not have done the things you've done without the grace of God. Christianity from beginning to end is grace. Works makes you proud. Look at what I've done. I, you know, some people strut around like peacocks in church. You know, I could remember some people, you know, walking around like this in church. Grace. If you have a true understanding of grace, you'll never do that because you understand that it were it not for Christ, we would have nothing. I'm a pauper. Jeremiah said the, uh, uh, maybe, I, maybe Isaiah, one of the two, our righteousness is just filthy rags. The very best that we have is like a, a stinky, pus-filled, leprous garment. That's what he was actually describing. The rag of a leper that's cast aside. That's the very best that we have toward God. I mean, without Christ... We wouldn't just split. We wouldn't just go to hell. We'd split it wide open. I mean, we'd just plunge. I mean, it, we have nothing to offer God. It's all grace. It's all grace. Someday when I walk through the gates of heaven, I won't be proud. When I see my Savior, I'm going to fall to my knees. And I'm going to say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because it's all about him. It's all about his grace. You beware of any teaching that minimizes the grace of God. Finally, how do you identify right teaching? God's revelation. God's revelation. Now we've talked about the apostles and the fact that they penned the New Testament. This is all God's revelation here. Uh, we need to put our trust in the whole counsel of God. I'm going to tell you something. Paul wasn't upset with people because they believed the Old Testament. He was upset because they twisted and used the Old Testament for a way other than it was intended to be used. Now, yes, we're under two different covenants. We're not under the Mosaic Law. We're under grace. But uh, the law of God and the Old Testament of God was a preparation for God's ultimate plan. You see, it's kind of like preschool. Okay? Preschool is great. Sometimes kids enjoy preschool. Sometimes they don't. But, but if, if preschool was all there was, you wouldn't go to preschool. Preschool is given for a purpose. It's given so that you can learn enough to go to elementary school. Elementary school is not the end either. 
right? Well, you do learn to read, so that's a great, great skill to have. Uh, but elementary school is not the end. It's, it's meant to prepare you for middle school and high school. And some people then go off to something else, you know, and get a job. Some people go into college, and so there's a preparation there. But, but you see, this is kind of the way it works. With Revelation, God gives the Old Testament to prepare for the New. And if you understand the Old Testament in the right way, it will enhance your understanding of the gospel and your appreciation of the gospel rather than lead you away from it. But these, these uh, Judaizers, what they were doing is they were twisting this Old Testament. The Old Testament didn't teach that salvation came by circumcision. Did you know that? God made his covenant with Abraham before that. It says Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. This is before circumcision ever happened. Circumcision was the outward sign that God had made an inward change in Abraham's heart. It wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was God crediting Abraham as righteous. I want to tell you something. Uh, there will always be people who will take secondary things and focus on them rather than the main things. Um, in this case, they were doing so, and it had consequences that could lead people uh, to a wrong belief and lead them to a wrong destination, even to hell without putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So God's revelation. Uh, look, I haven't even read you the scripture. Look at verse 12. I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. So in other words, God revealed this to me. It wasn't that I, you know, someday I was, you know, kind of spitballing and, uh, you know, what do they call that? Uh, um, anyway, whatever it is. Uh, talking with somebody else and we came up with this idea. Hey, wouldn't this be cool to teach the people? No. This didn't come from men. This was given to me directly from God. And here's the thing, God gave him this teaching of the gospel, then God revealed his son in him, you see this in the same word in verse 15, he was pleased to reveal his son in me, he gave him the experience of a relationship with Christ, and by the way, you learn some things through experience, you know, some of the things you read in God's word, you, you understand better when you've experienced it. That's why the Bible says the natural thing, man doesn't receive the things of God for their foolishness to him. They're spiritually discerned. Not only that you have a new aptitude to understand, but also you have an experience. Oh, that's, yeah, that's what that's talking about. Yeah. And so uh, Paul had this as a confirmation, also this relationship with Christ. But then look at, look at verse 23. Oh, look back up a second. Uh, Verse 21, let's read this as background. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. These are the Jewish churches. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, there's some people who say that Paul's gospel is different from Christ's gospel and is different from James' gospel, and is different from John's gospel, that's baloney. There is one gospel. And what Paul is saying here is the Jews who heard the gospel that the twelve apostles were preaching, 
when they heard about what happened with Paul, they said, hey, he's preaching the same thing we've heard. He used to persecute us. Now he's preaching the faith. There's just one faith. And the amazing thing about this was, is that Paul, though he was an eyewitness of the risen Christ, because he saw him on the Damascus Road, uh, he was not participating in the ministry of Christ during the time of Christ's ministry here on earth. But he gets the same gospel they got by revelation. And so his argument isn't that his gospel's different. His argument is that, hey, I didn't depend on men. God gave this to me. And so I'm not going to change it because a group of, of Judaizers here who were a, a, a heresy uh, in, the, in the church of Jerusalem, not what the church of Jerusalem believes, but a, but a sect inside, I'm not going to change for what they want. I didn't get this from men. I got it from God. I'm going to keep preaching the truth. I'm going to hold to the true gospel, and you need to too. The faith. You see, got it by revelation. So God's revelation. Don't ever let men try to talk you out of what God has said. Where do you find revelation? The Word of God. Genesis. It's not just the New Testament. It's about Jesus. It's Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Christ. Every bit of it is either preparation for Christ, pictures of Christ, uh, anticipation of Christ. Well, how's God going to do this? How's God going to change our hearts? It's all about Christ. The revelation of God will always point you to the true gospel. Cling to the revelation of God. And then also cling to the fact. I, I like what uh, Paul told Timothy. He said, uh, continue in the faith which you have learned and have been assured of. Because you know who you learned it from. Your mother, see, mother Eunice and grandmother Lois or vice versa. I forget which is which. But. You've learned it from these two godly ladies. And I want to tell you something, Timothy. Don't you forget what you've learned. You hold to it. Uh, this has been revealed to you by the teaching of these godly people in your life. Um, I think his whole purpose of saying, God revealed this to me. Look, at, look back up at verse 15. When God, who from my birth set me apart, called me by his grace... Was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult with anyone. You see, he's talking about God gave me his grace. God called me to the ministry. I can't believe it. I can't believe that God would use me, a persecutor of the Jews, but God did that. He says, God revealed his son in me, and it's so exceedingly precious. I will not give up this gospel for anybody. What you learn in the truth of Scripture, the revelation of Scripture, what you learn as God comes into your life and begins to show you by His relationship with you, don't you give it up. You hold to it. You hold fast to the truth. Because ultimately, there's only one thing that gets you to heaven. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that helps you walk in victory. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a way to identify uh, the right teaching, the false teaching.
Father, help us to.